Hello and welcome to Talking About Tumors with Ryan and Ryan. I'm Ryan Holstead. And I'm Ryan Quinn. And today we're going to talk about the latest and greatest with colorectal cancer, specifically with a discussion on total neoadjuvant therapy and the holy grail of a non-operative approach for rectal cancer. In addition, we'll also be talking about the recent Dostarlimab trial, which many of you may have even heard on the New York Times, has gotten a lot of publicity and a lot of patients are asking about this. So we'll go over some of the basics from the trial. We are now recording in studio number three. We had been trying to find places in our apartment that have better sound quality. We had improved a little bit over the last couple episodes. Um, However, that room has now been converted into the nursery of the soon-to-come Ryan. And we are now trying another area, so we apologize if the sound quality is not so great. um, And we'll continue to try to improve this podcast. Yep, we'll be a busy few months ahead, but hopefully we can continue recording on schedule, although we may be a few weeks late come the end of this month. All right, so just to briefly recap on rectal cancer, the current standard of care which the evidence supports is neoadjuvant radiation therapy, either short course or long course, followed by surgery, with questionable evidence to support adjuvant chemotherapy afterwards, mostly borrowed from the colon cancer literature. If someone goes for surgery up front, they often will get radiation afterwards with the goal of reducing local recurrence and preventing a surgery that would require ostomy in the future. For all the reasons that we've discussed previously in regards to our pancreatic cancer, cholangial cancer, and upper GI cancers, there's been a lot of interest to move chemotherapy into the neoadjuvant setting. And this approach has become very popular, and at least at the centers I've been at, a continuous discussion as an approach. And we're going to get into the the bulk of the evidence today that um, either supports or at least has been used to justify this management. So just to review, similar to pancreatic cancer, so some of the theoretical benefit of TNT, total neoadjuvant therapy, is that you're treating micrometastatic disease earlier. You could increase the downstaging effect of your neoadjuvant treatment and maybe increase resectability as well as pathologic complete response, as well as patients may be more compliant with chemotherapy in the neoadjuvant setting because after a major surgery, it's often difficult to give adjuvant chemotherapy and radiation there's also potential harms, risk of overtreating some patients that may have not needed total neoadjuvant therapy. There's really three major trials that have looked at this question, and they were highlighted during ASCO 2020 and have subsequently been published in various journals. Trial names are OPERA, Rapido, and Prodige 23. In general, these are all going to be looking at patients who we would often be considered for chemotherapy anyway. So those with T4, node positive disease, as well as occasionally T3, N0, if they have close margins um, due to the higher risk of these having recurrence, as we previously discussed within the Dutch trial, as well as um, the similarly designed NSABP trial. There are some smaller studies um, that have been published, but these are the major randomized trials that we have available. So the first trial that we're going to talk about is the Rapido trial, which was a trial done mainly in Europe as well as in the United States. And this study was looking at total neoadjuvant therapy using short-course radiation in addition to 18 weeks of an oxaliplatin-containing chemotherapy regimen. And this was comparing that to a long-course long chemo radiation, which was standard of care, as well as adjuvant oxaliplatin-based chemotherapy, so the standard of care at the time. 
This study was a pretty large trial, had 920 patients, again, mainly from Europe and um, the U.S. Patients had to be greater than 18, ECOG 0 to 1, and they had to have a, what they're calling high-risk feature on MRI, so either a clinical T4A or B, extramural vascular invasion, clinical N2, or an involved mesorectal fascia, or enlarged lateral lymph nodes. It was a one-to-one randomization, which was stratified by center, which is important because you want to make sure that the randomization is not, or that the results are not affected by the quality of the surgery. Also stratified by ECOG score, as well as by the clinical T stage and the clinical N stage. So just to um, reiterate the the two treatment arms, uh, arm A, um, the experimental arm received short course radiation, so five by five. After two to four weeks, they were then received an oxaliplatin doublet regimen, six cycles of Kpox or nine cycles of Fulfox. Then after two to four weeks would go for a TMA surgery. The control arm received long course chemoradiation and then had TMA after a six to eight week uh, delay. And the control arm, the option of adjuvant chemotherapy was allowed um, at investigators discretion. Yeah, that's a good point that post-op chemotherapy, so adjuvant chemotherapy in this trial was not mandated, and it was really dependent on the center that the patients were in, whether or not that was considered standard at the center. The primary outcome for this trial was initially defined as disease-free survival. However, this was initially amended to be called disease-related treatment failure, as some patients who progressed during the new adjuvant regimen never really had complete response to begin with, um, and they wanted to make sure those were still classified as treatment failures. There's also an additional amendment later on, as there are fewer anticipated um, events, so fewer progression events than they would have thought based on their historical comparison, which is relevant because that changes the overall significance of some of the findings we're, we're looking at. So when the study was published, it was a median follow-up time of 4.6 years. And when they looked at the primary endpoint, which was, again, three-year disease-related treatment failure, the three-year disease-related treatment failure was lower in the TNT arm. So 23.7% versus 30.4%, with a hazard ratio of 0.75 and a p-value of 0. 019. And kind of using some of our familiar disease-free survival numbers, you know, just subtracting 100 from that, that ends up being about 76% versus 70%. They also saw that there was a decrease in uh, metastatic disease at three years in the TMT arm, 20% versus 27%. Importantly, there was no overall survival benefit seen. Um, there was no difference in local regional recurrence. And when you're looking at the patients who received adjuvant chemotherapy, there was actually no inf- no difference in disease-free survival based on whether or not patients received adjuvant chemotherapy or not. In the standard of care arm, which had about 450 patients, only 187 received adjuvant chemotherapy. 158 patients did not receive adjuvant chemotherapy because that was not part of um, hospital policy. The investigators did try to see if there was a significant interaction based upon whether or not they received adjuvant chemotherapy, and that wasn't found. However, there's an issue with the power with this, where these are kind of smaller subgroups. Of those randomized to the total neoadjuvant therapy arm, 85% of them were able to complete the entirety of the treatment. Although not part of the trial, a few patients did decline surgery as at the time of um, planned TME, they had no evidence of disease, although this was considered a protocol violation, I believe, right? Yeah, I believe it was if they refused the surgery. There was also an increase in pathologic complete response at the time of surgery in the TNT arm, 28% versus 14%. And worth noting, the, the major cause of failure was still distant metastases. 
Yeah, so even though there was no overall survival benefit, this was considered a positive trial given that the decrease in disease-related treatment failure as well as the decrease in distant metastatic disease at three years. Uh, One of the issues, of course, and one of the main criticisms here is, is this a advantage of neoadjuvant therapy or is this a benefit of just giving everyone some form of systemic therapy? And I think, you know, looking at the ADORE trial, knowing that there's an advantage of using double chemotherapy in the adjuvant setting and knowing that a, a significant proportion of these patients did not receive adjuvant chemotherapy, I think we're left questioning whether or not there's a true benefit of neoadjuvant therapy here. It would have been nice if adjuvant therapy would have been mandated, although it's often difficult to do that when you have multiple centers with different local hospital policies as part of a trial system. Yeah, that's a good point. This isn't really comparing, you know, pre-surgical treatment versus adjuvant treatment. It's since many of the patients didn't actually get adjuvant chemotherapy, it's really comparing chemotherapy versus no chemotherapy in many of the patients. The next trial we're going to discuss is from the PRODIGE group. Uh, the trial is titled PRODIGE 23. You may recall this, this study group um, from France. They've published a lot of studies looking at fulfirinox, and this is, um, is this like some of the prior ones? So this is specifically looking at fulfirinox, um, new adjuvant chemotherapy for rectal cancer. So they used a modified fulfirinox without any bolus, and we gave this prior to chemoradiation. So six cycles of fulfirinox, followed by long-course chemoradiation, followed by surgery, followed by a planned adjuvant three months of doublet chemotherapy, such as Fulfox or Kpox. And this was versus giving concurrent chemoradiation long course, followed by surgery, followed by six months of adjuvant doublet chemotherapy. So with or without a new adjuvant chemotherapy component for three months. Patients in this trial were either clinical T4 or clinical T3, um, with the clinical T3 determined to be at high risk, such as lymph node positive or threatened margins or distal rectal cancers. Trial excluded, as with many of the full Firinox trials, patients with um, coronary artery disease, inflammatory bowel disease, and diarrhea. Um, of note, they did not have a bolus. This was a modified full Firinox like used in the adjuvant uh, pancreatic cancer study. Patients were randomized, 230 to each arm. These were primarily men with lower to middle rectal cancers, T3, and node positive disease. So the neoadjuvant chemotherapy was actually pretty well tolerated. 92% of patients were able to complete all cycles of neoadjuvant treatment, with the main toxicities being what we would expect from fulfirinox, the most common being neutropenia and diarrhea. The primary endpoint of this study was also three-year disease-free survival, similar to the Rapido trial, and it did show an increase in disease-free survival in the TNT arm. So at medium follow-up of 46 months, the three-year disease-free survival was 76% versus 69% with a hazard ratio of 0.69, and it was statistically significant with a p-value of 0.034. Of note, there was no overall survival benefit seen. Overall survival at three years was 91% versus 88%, but this was not statistically significant. There was also an increase in pathologic complete response at the time of surgery, 28% versus 12%. It's good to note that there was actually no impact of the neoadjuvant chemoradiation on surgical morbidity. There wasn't a significant number of complications during the receival of, during the treatment with full furinox chemotherapy. It is worth kind of mentioning some differences in later components of treatment. And those in the experimental arm did have a higher rate of discontinuation of ke- uh, capecitabine. 
and fewer of the patients who received full furinox completed the adjuvant um, doublet regimen. Although those who were receiving the full six months of adjuvant therapy in the, the standard of care arm did have higher rates of delays and dose reductions by the um, end of the completion. I think you had seen something about the long-term toxicities too. They did notice a decrease in neuropathy in the TNT group. If you're looking at grade 3 neuropathy, it was actually 12% in the total neoadjuvant therapy group versus 21% in the control group. The authors in the paper speculate that this could be due to the delay, not the delay, but the spacing out between the fulfirinox for three months and then three months of adjuvant therapy versus a full six months of chemotherapy in a row um, in the control arm. So maybe the spacing out over time attributed or caused this less neuropathy, but it's still unclear why exactly that happened. There was also a decrease in distant metastatic disease in the TNT group, 17% versus 25%, but no difference in local regional relapse. So once again, we're seeing a trial that improves disease-free survival uh, by intensifying the neoadjuvant systemic therapy approach. Um, one, still not showing an improvement overall survival, although due to sheer patient numbers and overall outcomes in these patients, you know, it will take a large trial to be able to show that. As with Rapido, some of the criticisms or at least the challenges for a clinician trying to decide what's best for the patient in front of them is that these aren't necessarily completely equal groups. Giving full Fearnox new adjuvant followed by three months of full Fox versus six months of full Fox isn't the exact same amount of chemotherapy. Although, having used Fulfirinox, I think that'd be very difficult after receiving concurrent chemo radiation followed by surgery, and my expectation is the reason they did not include that in the adjuvant arms was that was due to the sheer toxicity that'd be expected in these post-operative patients. Yeah, they're also using different forms of total neoadjuvant treatment. So the PRODUCE trial is using long-course chemo-RT as part of TNT, whereas Rapido is using short-course RT. So even among patients getting TNT, there's still variability in what exactly that means and what agents we're using for that. So the, the last major trial we're going to talk about is a phase two trial. This is a randomized phase two trial, so it has two arms in it. Um, the reason we're going to talk about this is this is one of the few trials that had a, that included in the trial protocol the offering of non-operative management with a watchful waiting approach. Yeah, so OPERA actually stands for Organ Preservation of Rectal Adenocarcinoma Trial. So they were attempting to have patients preserve the sphincter and maybe even avoid surgery. So the question is, can we avoid surgery after a total neoadjuvant therapy approach? This study was, again, a phase two study done in the United States. This study had 324 patients with clinical stage two or stage three, and it randomized patients to either neoadjuvant, four months of neoadjuvant, full FOX or KPOX, either before or after chemo radiation. So the study was really looking at... And this was long course, right? Yeah. So one of the important points of this study is that it's looking at the timing of the TNT, whether or not you do the chemotherapy before the chemo radiation. So patients were randomized to either four months of KPOX or full FOX, either before chemo radiation or the chemo radiation first, and then four months of KPOX and full FOX afterwards. They were calling it in the protocol induction chemotherapy, meaning the patients got the chemotherapy before the chemo radiation, versus consolidation chemotherapy, meaning that they got the chemo radiation first and then the chemotherapy. So these patients were restaged clinically with imaging eight to twelve weeks after the completion of TNT, and if they achieved 
a clinical complete response or near clinical complete near complete response, then they were offered a watch and wait approach. Yeah, this is a, a fairly intensive and not necessarily um, clinically practical way of restaging. Um, at eight, as what they defined as eight plus or minus four weeks after treatment, the patients received endoscopy digital rectal exam, and MRI. If there was a lesion present, they would biopsy it. And based upon the results of these, if they had a clinical complete response, they would move into the um, observation. And this included having a flex sigmoidoscopy every four months for a total of two years, followed by every six months for three years, an MRI every six months for two years, followed by once a year for three years, as well as for additional imaging for any symptoms in the interim. So the primary endpoint of this study was three-year disease-free survival, and they actually used historical controls to compare the two groups in this study. So again, the chemo either before or after the chemo radiation, um, and they compared that to historical controls who had standard of care, long course chemo radiation, followed by surgery and adjuvant chemotherapy. And they actually found that all three groups had pretty similar disease-free survival, 76% in the group that got the chemotherapy first, then the chemo radiation, versus 75% in the group that got the chemo radiation first, then the chemotherapy. And the historical controls was also 75%. So it's actually considered a negative study because, again, both groups were very similar to patients who who had previously gotten standard of care. About three-quarters in either group elected for the watchful waiting approach. So in those that received the induction chemotherapy regimen, 105 received non-operative management, 41 went straight to surgery. Of the 158 that had the consolidative chemotherapy, 120 went for non-operative management, 38 went for surgery. I I didn't make a note of how many of these were offered watchful waiting and and decided to go for surgery anyhow. But in terms of those who did um, proceed with watchful waiting... Many of them ultimately did end up requiring TME, with 40% in the induction chemotherapy arm and 27% in the consolidative chemotherapy arm, ultimately going forward with the TME in the future. So based upon this, this latter finding, I've heard it discussed by some providers who are considering a watchful waiting approach that they would prefer to use consolidative chemotherapy, so chemo RT followed by chemotherapy followed by surgery, although this was not a comparative trial, these patients did have a a lower rate of requiring TME and surgery. I think in order for that to become more of a standard of care, a direct comparative trial would be a lot more helpful because this may be just a spurious finding. There's some thought that that the reason that patients who had the radiation first followed by the chemotherapy did better, it could have just been that they had more time for the radiation to kick in before the restaging. So again, radiation can take some time to work fully and to see the full benefit. So maybe it was just the time interval between the radiation and the restaging that helped this group achieve a higher clinical complete response and be offered watchful waiting. Although this trial did include you know, a nice variation of you know, pure neoadjuvant therapy, it has also not answered the question, is total neoadjuvant therapy better than adjuvant? And it's mainly important because it's raised the possibility of considering these non-operative managements, although I think it's important to point out that this is, would not be considered a standard of care yet until there's some more evidence to support this management. Because ultimately, if our goal is for cure and intensifying therapy up front, we want to make sure that these patients are less likely to have distant disease down the road, and we can't really make those claims with this study here. Yeah, I still think this is a pretty controversial area. You know, if you have a pathologic or clinical complete response after TNT, do you really need the surgery? I don't think the data is there 
yet to say that you definitely don't need surgery after that. Now, and in contradiction to what we've just been saying, we're going to talk about a very much smaller trial, which I think is raising the consideration of non-operative management and, and likely we'll be getting some more answers from that soon as the, the phase three trial uh, rolls out. And, and this is the immunotherapy neoadjuvant treatment um, using dostarlamab published out of Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, this study looked specifically at patients that were MSI high, so that microsatellite instability. And as if you recall from our colon cancer lecture, we've already discussed how these are very sensitive to immune therapy. So in this trial, um, they used a PD-1 inhibitor, dostarlamab, and it was a phase two trial using stage two or stage three tumors. And these patients were patients enrolled, received six months of dostarlamab given every three weeks with the plan to proceed into concurrent chemotherapy long course. Yeah, the plan was for these patients to, again, have long course chemo radiation followed by surgery unless they achieved a uh, clinical complete response, which was determined by MRI, PET-CT, endoscopy, um, digital rectal exam with biopsy if they saw anything. Now, at the time of reporting, 12 patients, the first 12 patients on the trial had completed at least six months of follow-up median 12 months of follow-up. And actually 100% of them all achieved a complete clinical response. So none of these patients required chemo radiation or surgery, which is a pretty, again, small numbers, but pretty impressive result for 12 out of 12 patients, the first 12 on the study to all achieve, you know, 100% complete response. Now this study did have two primary endpoints. The first one being sustained complete response 12 months after the completion of dostarlamab. And just due to the lack of follow-up time, this study or this has not been reported yet. So there's a lot of excitement here. Obviously, this is a small trial. There's a phase three trial ongoing. I'm not sure what what to do in clinic right now. I'm, I'm fortunate that we have the the phase three trial rolling nearby. So any patients with the rectal cancer localized, I'm going to have them sent for MSI status and and make sure that they're enrolled. Um, and I would encourage anyone who's has patients the same to see if there's any trials looking at this question rolling nearby. Yeah, exactly. I think it'll be important to see more data. I think that the initial phase two plan to enroll enroll 30 patients, they only reported on the first 12, just based on this exciting result, but it'll be important to see more results come through for this. It is important to note that only about 5% of rectal cancer patients have this MSI high or deficient mismatch repair. Yeah, so I know we just went through a lot of data for kind of interesting studies. So... I guess take-home points and bottom line is, you know, if you have somebody with a clinical T3-4 lesion, I think that it's definitely worth a discussion with the patient regarding total neoadjuvant chemotherapy um, or total neoadjuvant therapy. Yeah, I mean, what I, I guess, you know, I would consider offering, if I'm going to likely give chemotherapy after surgery, it seems here that we're going to get a better disease-free survival, giving it before with the, the caveats that these are not the best studies in the world. I mean, I'd certainly like to see a randomized trial that would, you know, give the same chemotherapy before and after, mandate adjuvant systemic therapy in the trial. Not sure if that will happen. So we're kind of locked in here. And we have options of either using full furinox, we have options of using short court radiation followed by chemotherapy. And then the question of do we give chemo radiation prior to um, chemotherapy or the other way around? And I think that those are all still open questions that can be interpreted different ways. Yeah, I think given the lack of data, the practices are variable and often center-dependent, but you do have the freedom, at least as of now, without data to kind of choose what fits you and the patient best. 
just from a, a very small sliver of patients I've seen who've received um, chemo radiation followed by chemotherapy, I, I've seen a fair amount of toxicity there with diarrhea and proctitis. And you know, I have to always keep in mind that these are clinical trials with very closely regulated um, inclusion criteria, as well as um, focus on the radiation um, protocol planning. And in real life, things are sometimes a bit messier. And uh, my personal just not based on evidence, but based on experience, I worry a little bit about giving, you know, chemo radiation and immediately following that up with chemotherapy and would probably lean towards giving chemotherapy first. But ultimately, you know, what would, you know, it's important to keep in mind you work within your, your own department, come up with your own policies and, and you'll see different things being done no matter where you work. And uh, just uh, I'll include in the show notes, but uh, um, at ASCO 2020, um, Dr. Hallemeyer um, did summarize the three neoadjuvant trials and had a nice side-by-side comparison. So those of you who have access to slides from 2020 ASCO, I encourage you to take a look at them. I think they do a good job of showing the data in nice clean tables next to one another. So on that note, uh, thanks for listening. Again, feel free to please give us any feedback. We should be back in a few weeks pending any uh, preterm deliveries. <laughs> You're not going to say? See you next time. Take care. For more information, follow us on Twitter at TalkingTumors or feel free to email us at TalkingAboutTumors at gmail.com. Please rate and review the podcast. We really appreciate it. And special shout out to our friend John Kim for all of his musical talents. And he is the composer of the music that you're hearing right now. Talking about tumors is not medical advice. For medical advice, please contact your own healthcare provider. Opinions stated on this podcast are by the Ryan who said it and no one else. We have no financial disclosures and this is done purely on our own time to the sake of our enjoyment of the field of medical oncology. Thank you for listening and see you next time.